As we go through the book of Mark and continue our process in, we've reached uh, kind of the climax of the book of Mark. Jesus, um, who is this great teacher and miracle worker, uh, who's amassed a bunch of followers in the first half of the book, uh, his followers have now all scattered, and he is arrested uh, and uh, about to go uh, before the, the governor of his province, the person who Caesar himself had put in charge of that area, um, to give a defense uh, for himself. The, his uh, religious leaders have sought to betray him and to execute him, um, but they are not legally allowed to execute. Um, now, they it do illegally execute people from time to time, but they aren't legally allowed to execute people and wanting to follow the rules, they, they, they deliver Jesus over um, to a man named Pilate. And, and Jesus stands for Pilate as a condemned man from the Jewish perspective, uh, and Pilate has to figure out what to do with him, and, we, and we're going to read today uh, a good bit about that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. When I was a student, uh, and some of you uh, probably have felt this way as well, um, I always um, remember the days when my teacher was gone, all right? You would go into class, and the teacher would be, uh, be missing, uh, and there would be this random person. Now, in Rockdale, maybe you get to know the random people, but I grew up in Fort Bend ISD, and I don't know how many substitute teachers uh, went throughout my high school, um, but there were uh, several dozen substitute teachers, and so I never really knew any of these substitute teachers, but they would walk in, and it was so humorous to me because they're like, they're, they're standing there in the place of my teacher, but I look at them and I'm like, no, you're, you're not my teacher, right? It's tough being a substitute. If you're, I mean, some of you teachers know this, right? You, you get a substitute and there's probably good and bad substitutes for your class, but like, like it's tough. They walk in, they don't have any built-in authority. Um, being the substitute's a rough thing to do. Jesus today is going to take on a role of a substitute, and he's going to do it better than any substitute teacher I ever had. Uh, better than any, uh, any relief pitcher you'll see in Major League Baseball. He's going to stand uh, in the place that, that he's not supposed to be, and he's going to stand there well, better, uh, I would say, than the people who typically are standing there. So we're going to read today, Mark chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 today, but uh, we'll stop after a little bit and, and talk. Here we go. It says, And as soon as it was morning... The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Okay, so Jesus has been handed over, and Pilate is uh, the, the leader, uh, the Roman leader of that area of the world. He had a whole province that he was in charge of. Um, historically, we can go back and prove that Pilate was a real person. We see his name written on different inscriptions um, that are contemporary to this. Pilate reigned for about three years over, um, over that portion of the world. Pilate was a pragmatic ruler. Um, if you read the history uh, of that time period, uh, there were various uprisings and revolts that happened while Pilate was in charge. And Pilate was pretty harsh and pretty severe, but whenever things went sideways, he kind of looked for what would be a politically expedient way to solve problems. 
right? He's not too unlike the politicians of our day, right? Politicians today, um, they find themselves in difficult situations with people on opposite sides wanting different results, and they have to kind of stand in the middle and find, uh, really, they do a lot of polling and stuff to see where the political winds are blowing, and then they follow wherever the political winds take them, right? The idea, though, is let's do whatever is easiest for us to maintain power and giving uh, the most amount of people the best outcome that they can have. And so Pilate was a political leader. Uh, he wasn't a military leader. He wasn't the sort of man uh, who would come and take over a, a city by, by his general prowess. He was a man who would come and uh, would, would handle things in a backhanded, underhanded sort of way. And so Pilate stands before Jesus and he says, Hey, um, you've been brought to me by these people, and they told me a whole lot of things. Right? They, they told me you were the Messiah and that you're going to come on clouds of glory. But Pilate doesn't care about any of that. Right? Pilate doesn't care that Jesus claimed to uh, tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days like, the, like he was accused of doing. He doesn't have any concern about that. The one thing Pilate cares about is the one thing that will affect his job. Right? He looks at Jesus and says, are you the king of the Jews? Because if Jesus is the king of the Jews... Right, all of a sudden, he's a political adversary. He's an adversary to Pilate, uh, who is uh, currently running as the governor of the Jewish province. Uh, he's a political adversary to Pilate, but he's also a political adversary um, to, to Caesar, the ultimate authority who's way up here above everyone else. And so he asked Jesus, are you the one thing that, that if you are, we're going to have problems with? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, you have said so. Right, and the idea, we see this in other uh, passages where, where Mark, uh, Mark kind of truncates down a lot of the, the stuff. But if you read in John and Matthew, the trial scene, Pilate asks him this question and, and Jesus responds, you know, my kingdom is not of this world, right? My kingdom isn't the kingdom that you're so worried about right now, right? Pilate was holding on to a tenuous rule and he didn't want to lose it to this upstart Jesus. And so Jesus responds like, well, I mean, you say that, but that's not really what I'm about. And I'm not really coming like the king that you think I'm, go I'm supposed to be. Right? I'm not that guy. That's just what you said. And then Pilate uh, lists out all the other charges against Jesus. And there were dozens of other charges against Jesus. You did this, you said this, and you went here, and you hung out with these people. Right? All the reasons the Jewish people had problems with Jesus... Pilate listed all of those off. And then he said, what do you have to say about all that? And Jesus just looked at this man who had the power by himself, by his own authority to say, you will be executed and said nothing. Charge after charge after charge, uh, like challenge after challenge after challenge. Jesus just looked at him and said, yeah, I don't have anything I need to say to you. There's nothing that I need to say back. To you, And the response of Pilate is so great, right? Verse 5 says, But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Right? Pilate dealt with a lot of criminals, a lot of people who were being brought in for various purposes. No one did this to him. No one amazed him and perplexed him and surprised him and made him so worried because Pilate dealt with all of that stuff day by day. But Jesus looked at him and said, I don't have to respond to you. Right? I don't answer to you. You aren't that big of a deal to me. And Pilate was amazed at Jesus. And here we have this, this, this person standing 
before Pilate being accused of things, mostly of crimes he didn't commit, and he stands there in silence. See, Jesus uh, is this great substitute who stands in the place of wicked people like, like Matt Higginbotham, and instead of doing what Matt does when Matt is confronted with things that people accuse him of, look, if you were to come into my office tomorrow and accuse me of a bunch of things that aren't true, I am not going to sit idly by and listen to it. Right? Like, I will, I will nod and smile, and then I will respond. And if for some reason my response doesn't satisfy you, there's going to be an escalation, right? There's going to be this emotional outburst because, like, whenever I'm accused, right, I feel a definite need to defend myself. It's one of, the, one of my personal weaknesses. My wife sometimes will run into this. She's like, man, you're just so defensive. I can be defensive, right? If, if you're accusing me of stuff, I get really, er. You know, it's just how I'm built. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of us get that way, right? Especially if you feel like you're being unjustly accused of things, much less if you did. If you did it, you feel worse about it, right? You get more defensive, right? right? But if you didn't do it, right, you're like, that's not right, right? And then we focus on the one issue. Just side note, that's what my kids do, right? Like, you, we, we tell this whole long story about what they did, and they're like, well, that detail right there is wrong. And I'm like, yeah, why are we focusing on... Like, was it, was it like at 1.28 p.m. or 1.35 p.m.? Because that detail is not what the story hinges on. Like, the whole story is what we're dealing with. No, but that detail is wrong. Well, stop focusing on that. Let's deal with the fact that you're an idiot, right? Let's deal with the larger issue, not the smaller issue, right? But Jesus stands there, and he goes through all of this, like, laundry list of things that humanly would make us want so badly, right? So badly to defend ourselves. And he stood there in silence. He exchanged his words of defense for himself for silence. And there is power in silence. This is something I'm not good at, but there's power, right, in looking at someone in the eye and saying, nothing. I don't have to respond to you. Right? I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to give words back to everything that's said. It's okay to be silent. And for Jesus, there was power there. This great substitute stands there, and instead of doing what we would do when we're accused, he stands there in silence, and he takes it. He doesn't fight back, even though a lot of it is lies and untrue. A lot of it is fabricated, made-up nonsense from these Jewish people who wanted to kill Jesus. He stands there in silence. And Pilate just looks at him and is like, I, I don't know what to do with this guy. He doesn't even respond to this. So Pilate looks at Jesus, and we know from other accounts of this story um, that Pilate looks at Jesus and he kind of figures out this guy is not the scoundrel that he's accused of being. And so Pilate comes up with a plan, and the plan is played out starting in verse 6. It says, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So this is the, the, the Passover feast that's going on at that time. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them to release someone. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was only out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Um, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have the chief priest uh, uh, to release or to have Pilate release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? 
And they all cried out together, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Jesus, uh, Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified. So in this story, we have Jesus standing silently before Pilate, and then Pilate coming up with a way um, to do the right thing, right? To let Jesus go, because Jesus is not the bad guy, uh, and he had a, a vehicle to do that, a political vehicle to do that. He pardoned one prisoner every Passover. This is like what the president does for one turkey every Thanksgiving, right? He pardons the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving turkey, and that turkey can live another year until someone picks it up, and, and, and now we're eating again, right? But, but, but he, he has, every year he pardons one guy uh, during this high feast of Passover. And so he knows who he's got in the prison. He knows that he's got this guy named Barabbas, and Barabbas is a bad dude, right? He's a murderer, uh, he's kind of a rioter. He's a real, not a nice guy. He's not the guy you want watching your kids when you go out of town, right? Like, you're like, oh, we'll have Brabus come over and babysit for us. No, you don't want that. He's not a good guy. Right now, he would, he would have some popularity, right? Because if you're killing Romans in that time, there would be some people who like you, right? Because you're on the side of uh, Jewish uh, nationalism. And so there were probably some people who, who liked Barabbas as kind of a hero, um, but he was not a good man. He was a bad man. We see just a brief list of what he does. But, like, murder is a big deal, right? Like, I don't want to judge sins based on their extent of badness. But we can all agree, like, that's our go-to sin, right? When someone's like, well, you're a bad person, you're like, I haven't killed anybody, right? Murder is our go-to, I'm not that bad of a guy. And Barabbas couldn't say that, right? Like, hey, you're a bad guy. He's like, I haven't jaywalked. Right? Like, like he, doesn't have, he doesn't have anything really to go back at them with. He's a bad man. He's a guilty man, and he deserves to be crucified. Right? He deserves to be executed. Uh, and so Pilate knew this about Barabbas. He knew Jesus didn't. And he figured that the crowd of people uh, would be somewhat reasonable, and he could let Jesus go. He could stick it to the chief priest who wanted Jesus to get crucified. And then everything, everyone could be happy at the end of the story. And so he goes out there and he's like, hey guys, I'm going to release someone. Who do you want? You want this guy over here, the murderer? Or do you want this guy who's your king? Huh, king, good guy. Which one do you want? And the chief priest had already gone through the crowd and seeded out um, the idea that Jesus needed to be crucified. And so the crowd begged for the release of a murderer and begged for the execution of the Son of God. And in this way, Jesus stands again as a substitute. Right? There's a guilty man who deserves death, and Jesus stands condemned for sins he didn't commit. The guilty man goes free, and Jesus gets punished. This is a concept in the Bible called substitutionary atonement. Uh, it's a $3 church word. You can put it in your, uh, your, your, your you know, dictionary of church words and use it. The idea, though, is this. right? For sin... To be covered, for sin to be handled, there has to be shedding of blood. This begins back in the garden, right after Adam and Eve sin. Um, uh, sin comes into the world, and there, there's a blood sacrifice, right? Because God covers them with skins of animal, right? They takes off their fig leaves and gives them animal skins. Animals had to die for the sake of the sin that Adam and Eve had committed. And that sacrificial system of animals dying for human sin continued for about 4,000 years. 
right? Animal after animal, bird after bird, ox and goat and sheep, all were sacrificed to cover the sins of mankind, right? And so every time you sinned, you would have to go and take a bird or whatever and sacrifice it up because that would wash away your sins. That's the way sin was always atoned for. But the blood of animals is a temporary atonement. It can only do so much, right? Uh, and, and I liken it to, um, well, I won't get there right now. Um, the blood of animals only does so much. And so, like, let's say I'm uh, rude to my wife. I would never do that, but we can pretend right now, okay? Uh, let's say I was rude to my wife, and I, I said something that was, that was mean, and then it came out of the bad part of my heart. Um, I could go, and I could offer a sacrifice, right? And all of a sudden, me and uh, God are good because my sin has been covered. The problem is, like, I still go back home, and there's still garbage going on at home, and so that nasty part of me that could come out again, right? Maybe I'm not rude to my wife. Maybe I'm rude to Hannah, right? Maybe Hannah does something, and so I get on to my, my, my middle child, and I, and, I, and I get mad at her, and I yell at her about something, something silly that she did, right? And it goes beyond what is a normal parenting into sin. Well, now that bird that I sacrificed to cover my sin for my wife, it's already been used up, so now I've got to go back and do it again. This is the, the picture, by the way, uh, this is one of the things that happens in Mass at the Catholic Church every Sunday, right? You go, and, and your sins are covered for, your, your venial sins, your regular everyday sins are covered um, by, by taking, the, taking the sacraments and going through Mass, right? That's one of the reasons that Catholics go to church every Sunday, is that you can wash away your sins weekly. Um, the problem with that, though, is it, it, it means you have another week that you're kind of in, in limbo, right? Because I, I don't know about you, but I'm not great any day, right? My best day is not that good. Um, and so I'm always guilty of something. And so Jesus, instead of being a sacrifice that just does a little bit, just covers enough to cover the last thing you did, his substitutionary atonement, the idea that he sacrificed for us, covers everything. Like it's a full atoning sacrifice. That means that there's no crime committed past, present, or future that wasn't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus stands up there uh, on the high place with Barabbas beside him uh, and Pilate in the middle, uh, Jesus is literally taking on the sins, not just only of Barabbas, but of Barabbas. And, and Barabbas is let free as if he was an innocent man. And Jesus bears the weight of his sin. It's the same thing he does for you. It's the same thing he does for me. Right? Everything that we do is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Barabbas is the most forgiven man in Scripture. Right? He knows he's guilty. He stands beside the innocent Son of God. And that man who made no defense for himself takes his place. And the punishment that should have been given to Barabbas, that was righteously credited to Barabbas, is given to Jesus instead. And that same punishment that you deserve... Right? The Bible says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Christ Jesus the Lord. Like the same things that you have done, that sin that separate you from God, you deserve death, condemnation, judgment, bad things. That's what you deserve. You're not a good person, no matter how much better you are than your neighbor. And Jesus died in your place, taking your sins, your lies, your uh, your pride, your arrogance, your lust, all of the things that you're guilty of, he took on himself so that you could be credited as righteous. 
That's salvation. That's a great story. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That wicked people, like Matt Higginbotham, can be called good before a good and holy God because Jesus Christ died for me. Guys, if you don't understand that, you're missing out on the entire purpose of what this is. This is the message the world needs to hear. Your neighbor needs to hear that they're forgiven. There's a lot of people who like the angry God, right? Old Testament God and judgment and Sodom and Gomorrah and tearing people up, right? We like that God because we want people to get what's coming to them. But what your neighbor needs to hear is no matter how bad they are, they're not too far for Jesus Christ. Because he died for them. He died for wicked people and he died for self-righteous people. He died for all of us so that we could experience eternal life in heaven with our loving and perfect God. The only way that happens is through the substitution, where one person stands in the place of another and takes the punishment for them. Now, the idea of substitutionary atonement, you can play it out this way. Imagine you owe someone a debt. Uh, DJ McGee, I like DJ a lot, but DJ owes me $10 billion. DJ, I don't know what you did. You got in deep with me. Um, DJ owes me $10 billion, and I don't know what DJ currently owns for, uh, makes from Carfax. I'm guessing it's under $10 billion a year, though. I'm getting a nod, so it looks like Carfax is not paying, paying quite that much right now. But, <laughs> but, but you know, like, like, DJ owes me this debt. He's never going to be able to pay the debt, right? But if Jeff Bezos calls DJ and says, DJ, I want to pay your debt, Jeff Bezos has the resources to do it, right? He can do it. He can write the check, and I can receive the check, and he can say, hey, credit this to DJ's account. He doesn't owe you anything else anymore, Matt. And I'll say, awesome, thanks, Jeff. Can I get Prime for free? Right? And he says, sure. <laughs> right? And DJ will be, his debt will be forgiven because someone else paid it. That's what substitutionary atonement is. Your debt is forgiven by the only one who can pay the debt. Look, I can't pay the debt for you. Your, your mama, no matter how holy and righteous you think she is, can't pay the debt for you. The only one who can pay, right, is you through death and eternal separation from God in hell, or Jesus Christ through his substitutionary atonement. Barabbas experienced that firsthand. Right? He experienced how his life was going to be lost, how Jesus died for him. And he does that for you as well. The innocent is exchanged for the guilty. Continuing down, Pilate uh, scourges Jesus... And that's glossed over. If you watch the Passion of the Christ, you get about 40 minutes of the scourging of Jesus. It's not a pretty picture, right? The idea that there's these leather whips with bones and bits of glass and whatever in there, and they just start ripping off the, uh, the skin of the, the, the convicted, the one who is um, waiting uh, for his death, right? And there's this physical agony that Jesus experiences um, through the scourging. Continue reading. It says, "...in the soldiers," verse 16, "...led him away inside the palace." That's the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. It's about 600 people, roughly. And they clothed him in a dark uh, purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking him, uh, his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Guys, the, the way this, this story ends, right before the, the cross is you have this, this great mocking of Jesus Christ. 
right? The Son of God, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world, the one who stood silently in defiance to Pilate, the one who stood as a substitution for the wicked man Pilate and the wicked man you, right? This one is now standing and getting absolutely abused. It's not just physical abuse he's receiving, it's emotional, spiritual mocking abuse. That's what Mark focuses on, right? They, 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 they make him into a king and they give him a little reed for a scepter and they, they give him a crown of thorns instead of a, instead of a golden crown and they give him a, a purple cloak, which is likely just some faded garment they have laying around there and they throw it on him and they pretend like they're, they're giving him uh, respect and reverence all the while while they laugh at him and they sneer him and they make fun of him. And the Son of God the King of kings, the Lord of lords, exchanged his glory. He substituted his glory, the, the absolute glorious Son of God, for suffering for our sake. He, he, he not only, I mean, Philippians talks about how he exchanged, uh, you know, his human form to be found in the likeness of man, this great exchange where, where God comes down to earth. Not only did he come down to earth to live like us, right, he, he came down to earth to live like us and be mocked by us. Right, to, be, to be harassed by us. But, you know, I, I love what these, these, these wicked men do. It's a difficult thing. Right, there's, God is working a picture in here that they don't know anything about. Right, they think that they're just having a good time beating up on somebody who's about to die. And they think that they're having all this, uh, this fun at his expense. But the truth is, in the middle of this, they do something that gives us a picture of what Jesus is about. Right, when they take that crown of thorns, right, it's a, I mean, it's just a, a thorny plant, right? And they press it down into his, into his scalp, and it, and it penetrates him, right? And it's a, it's a painful thing, right? And the reason they do it is to hurt him and to mock him. But you know, those thorns, you know, you know the only reason thorns exist in the world today? It's just a little side note here. Right, if you go all the way back to the beginning, I mean, all the way back to the beginning, you have Adam and Eve, Right, and, and Eve takes the fruit and eats it, and then Adam sees it and eats it too, right? And then their eyes are open, and sin comes into the world. And then God comes walking through the garden, right? The Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve are hiding with their little fig leaves on, right? Trying to be all modest, right? And they're hiding, and then God's like, Hey, where are you? And they come out. He's like, Hey, you ate from the tree you're not supposed to eat. And I said, Yeah, we ate from that tree we're not supposed to eat. He says, Well, here's your punishments. He says, uh, snake, you, you're going to be slithering through the ground. People are going to hate you. One day there's going to come someone who's going to crush your head. Right? There's going to be a seed of the woman who's going to crush your head. And that's the promise of Scripture. The entire rest of Scripture, right? the entire rest of Scripture, is trying to figure out who is finally going to crush the head of the wicked one. Right? Who is it? And we think it might be Noah, because Noah is like this one who's going to give us rest. We think it might be um, Samson, because Samson's like born to this great time of promise. We think it might be David, right? We think it might be Solomon. Like we have all these thoughts that it might be this person, and they all fail one after another to do this ultimate deed of crushing sin and dealing away with sin. But not only is Satan uh, punished, the woman's punished. You have child uh, pain and childbearing. That's a fact, ladies. Congratulations on that, right? And then it goes to the man. He's like, here's your punishment. Right? No longer will the ground just give you food. Right? In the Garden of Eden, they just, like, like we have to work hard to make food grow. Like, they didn't have that. They just walked around. It's like, hey, here's food. Here's food. Everywhere they looked was food. Just, just thrown at them. 
from the ground. It's like, that's not the way it's going to work anymore. Instead, you're going to have to work. That's right, men. The curse that we have is work. But not only are you going to have to work, the ground that used to bear you fruit is now going to bear thorns and thistles. The curse of mankind is work and work in difficult circumstances with thorns. And these, these guards take the, the sign of the curse, right? The, the problem of sin from Genesis chapter 2, right, and, and 3, and they take the sign of the curse and they put it on Jesus. And Jesus bears the weight of the curse of mankind. He brings it all the way back to the very beginning. These people are totally ignorant of the fact that they're pointing back to the reason uh, that Jesus came in the first place was to deal with the very issue that they had put on top of his head. All right, Jesus dealt with all of those things. And he was the promised seed who will crush the head of the serpent. And by his resurrection, which we're not to yet, but I'll tell you it happens. Right, he does that. Death, this great victor, no longer has victory because Jesus Christ conquers Guys, this is, this is good news. In the middle of this suffering and, and, and hardship, Jesus, who was the glorious one, exchanges all that for suffering. And the reason he does it is because he loves you. Some of you need to understand that you're precious to God. You're special. Individually, personally important and valuable to God, right? Your, your, your mom may not tell you that. Your grandma might have been mean to you. Your husband might be a piece of work to you, but you're special to God. You matter to God to the point that Jesus stood quietly in the midst of suffering, right? To the point that Jesus literally substituted himself for the wicked people of the world, to the point that Jesus bore uh, great shame instead of bearing his glory in that moment. He did that so you could be forgiven. And the whole purpose of the Bible, the whole story of Christianity is a rescue mission of God coming to earth to save people who can't save themselves. And he did it because he loves you. You're special and you matter. And if you've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, if you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if you've never claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do that. Because he took the curse for you. He took the punishment that you deserve, and it is totally paid for. It's like DJ doesn't owe me $10 billion anymore. You don't owe anyone anything anymore. The wrath of God is satisfied through Jesus Christ. You don't bear your sin, if you let Christ bear it for you. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, today is a day for you to come experience grace and forgiveness. This is a good day for you. But if you're here today and you're like me and, and, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is kind of old hat. Right? Like I know Jesus died for sinners. I know um, that Jesus died in the place of me and that he forgave me. The message is really, really simple for you today. Like, it's, it's real simple. It's think about that and then let that change you. Right? Like, if, if Jeff Bezos wrote a $10 billion check to cover DJ's uh, debt to me, Jeff, DJ would be a very loyal Amazon shopper. Right? Every day, the rest of his life, he would be thankful because I was going to break your legs. That's what I was going to do. I was going to take your knees out. Every day he would be grateful because someone paid this debt. And he knows he owed it. 
Like for me, that, that's the only reason. It's the primary motivator for everything I do. Because I'm a guilty person. I'm a wicked person. I'm a sinful person. And I'm really messed up. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, though, I'm righteous. And I never could have done that on my own. And because of that, like I push into Jesus Christ every chance that I get. That I elevate His kingdom every chance I get. And whenever I see myself elevating my kingdom, I remind myself that my kingdom is built on a pretty stupid person. His kingdom is all that matters. Guys, as you think about what Jesus literally did for you, as He bore your penalty, your shame, your suffering, what you deserved, it should change how you live. Those people who are lost and problematic in our world, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just, just people we deal with that are tough. All of a sudden, they become opportunities for us to show the glory of God. Because if God can save you, He can save them. And Jesus has already done the work. Let's tell them about the good work that's been done. Share the gospel story, guys. It's good news for a lost and dying world. Let's pray.